Amen. Go ahead and be seated, and as you do, join me in prayer. Oh Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Lord, we believe all scripture is breathed out by you, that it is inspired by you, and that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God might be thoroughly equipped Adequate for every good work. So Lord, would you do that equipping work in us today? As we look into your God-breathed word, may you mold us, may you train us, may you equip us for all the good works you've called us to do. Lord, sanctify us by your truth. We look to your word as your truth now. We need you and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen. Let's turn together to Paul's letter to the Romans, the high peak of Scripture, as J.I. Packer called it. Last week, we started a passage-by-passage study of the book of Romans, and we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This week, we want to look at that second part of this introduction and greeting in chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 16 and 17 along with this passage since they are the foundation to what Paul says here and they're also the scripture memory verses we're working on so it'll be good for us to hear it again. So Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 8 follow along as I read God's truth over us. Paul says first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of our creator God. May he mold us according to its truth. So Paul begins the book of Romans like he does most of his letters. He begins by communicating to his readers that he thanks God for them and that he prays and is praying constantly for them. So even in this, the most theological letter that Paul wrote... It is the personal relationships 
that motivate and fuel him. Think about that for a second. The most theological of all of Paul's letters. We are going to dive into the deep end in the coming months of theology and, and all that Paul says about our depravity and the righteousness of Jesus that's imputed to our account and the death to sin that we have experienced in Jesus. And yet in this very dense theological letter, it is personal relationships that is first and foremost on Paul's mind as he writes this. Paul here, I think, sets an example for us in these verses about how we should thank God for each other and pray for each other and long to encourage one another. You see, God has designed the Christian life to be relational in nature. That is, we need each other. We are not made to be lone ranger Christians living in isolation from each other. God has designed us to have strong relationships with other believers and to have this mutual accountability that comes with these relationships with each other. Listen, the gospel doesn't exist to be kept privately to ourselves. The gospel doesn't just impact us and help us to live out in an island somewhere by ourselves alone. Yes, it would help with that, but it does so much more than that. The gospel is to be shared and proclaimed and rejoiced in through our ever-expanding network of relationships in the body of Christ. Jesus said that we should be known as His disciples by our love for each other. Being a follower of Jesus means being a person who loves others and loves to strengthen others in the gospel. A Christian should not be one characterized by selfishness and isolation. May God rescue us from our selfishness. May He rescue us from our desire to be left alone and to leave others alone. And so Paul shows us in this passage a picture of the kind of care and concern that we should have for each other in the body of Christ. Paul gives us an example that we should strive to follow. Listen, it means nothing to merely study the doctrine of the book of Romans if we don't have the inner longing modeled for us in Romans. Yes, Romans is a theological letter, but it is not a theology textbook. This is a letter that reveals how the gospel changes us and changes the way we relate to each other. We need to hear this at the beginning of this study. Because the temptation, I know my temptation is to think about theology on my own and not how it relates to how I relate to you and to others. See, Paul was not just a professor in his study somewhere saying lofty things about God and his gospel. Paul was a believer whose heart was inflamed with love for the gospel and love for the people who needed to benefit from the gospel. See, Paul was willing to travel to far away places in a day that travel was a literal nightmare. He was willing to go to these places because of his love for the gospel and for these people. Paul was willing to painstakingly write this entire letter and others in a day and time when pen and paper and light was scarce. And he did so because the gospel is the power of God to change people. So I, I read this passage and I count six ways 
in this introductory, in this greeting, that Paul communicates his love and affection for the believers in Rome. Six ways Paul, Paul's heart is yearning and longing and desiring to see God at work in the Romans' lives. And so I want to look at these truths this morning in hopes that God will challenge us, that God will change us and speak to us about the ways we need to grow into Paul's example of eagerness and longing. And so I'm going to point out the ways that Paul shows his, his affection for the Romans. But in every instance, I mean to say, this is how we should feel. This is how we should be in our relationships to each other, which is, I think is the way that this passage trains us and equips us for the work of ministry that God has called all of us to. So notice how Paul feels. Notice his affection for the Romans. First, notice Paul thanks God for the Romans. The first way we see his affection for the Romans is he thanks God for the Romans. So in verse 8, notice Paul starts with the word first. Now he never gets around to saying secondly or thirdly. So I assume here by first, he's not making a list, but rather he's expressing a priority. The first thing he wants to do is to let them know that he thanks God for them and he prays for them constantly. Paul says, notice, he thanks God through Jesus Christ for all the believers in Rome. This phrase, through Jesus Christ, highlights the centrality of Jesus in everything we do as Christians. Anything commendable in a believer is owing to Jesus. And so if we're moved to thanksgiving for each other, that is the work and blessing of Jesus. Anything worthy of thanksgiving in you is because of Jesus. Any desire in me to express thanks to God for you is a work of Jesus. The only way we can be thankful for one another is in and through and because of the work of our Savior in our place for our sins. And so he thanks God for them through Jesus Christ. And the reason he thanks God for them through Jesus, he says, is because their faith was known throughout the Roman world. So what God was doing in the church in Rome was being proclaimed all through the known world at the time. Everywhere Paul went, he was hearing reports about what God was doing in Rome, and that delighted Paul's heart. Faith is a gift from God, and so who does Paul thank for the Romans' faith? He thanks God for the faith of the Romans that was being proclaimed in all the world. Now listen, Paul didn't start the church in Rome. He had, in fact, nothing to do with it as far as we know. He wasn't involved in starting it. The church in Rome was not like Corinth where there were people there who were saying, I follow Paul. They were exalting in Paul. That wasn't happening in Rome because Paul didn't start it. And yet, Paul is extremely thankful to God for what God is doing in fueling the Romans' faith. Listen, this doesn't mean that the church in Rome was perfect, but they had faith that was so noticeable it was being proclaimed throughout the known world. Now, of all the places in the ancient world that we would think that the gospel would be snuffed out by the authorities or by the culture itself, it would be the city of Rome. Now, I'm sure that Rome was a place that to be a Christian was to be under constant persecution, was to be constantly outcast from society. And yet, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, 
And the gospel was advancing in Rome. The gospel was being embraced by these Romans. And Paul expresses his thankfulness to God through Jesus for the Romans' faith. Now, in my estimation, as I think about this and how this applies to us, these are words that should more often and more sincerely be on our lips as well. The words, I thank God for you. This is a simple phrase. It doesn't take much effort to say it, but it is a phrase that communicates so much affection, so much warmth to each other. Think about it. When was the last time you expressed this verbally to someone else? When was the last time you looked someone in the eye and told them you are thankful to God for them? When is the last time you looked someone in the eye and told them how much you appreciate the ways that their faith is being manifested in their lives. I think Paul sets an example for us here of how we should feel about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We should have this sort of deep kindredness, this partnership in the gospel that allows us to be genuinely thankful when we see other believers thriving and striving after the things of God. If you don't have these kind of yearnings, of thankfulness for other members of this church, for other believers, ask yourself, why not? Why don't you have these kind of feelings of thankfulness? Or maybe you can look at your life and you've seen that your affections for other believers has diminished over time. If so, let me encourage you by Paul's example here. Tell others that you thank God for them. Tell the other members of this church why you thank God for them. Even the ones that get on your nerves, you can still be thankful for them and tell them. You see, when we view others as saints in Jesus, loved by God, like Paul said, remember in verse 6 and 7, we are called to belong to Jesus. We are saints and loved by God. We have been given the grace and peace of God. Friends, other people, other believers are children of our common Father. And even if that's the only reason to thank God for them, that's enough. Well, friends, when you feel affection for others, when you see God at work in others, express your gratefulness to God openly to them. Look them in the eyes, shake their hand, hug their neck, and tell them that you are thankful for them. We need to admit this because this is one of the ways that we admit we need others. This is one of the ways we admit that, that God is at work in each other's lives. Friends, we're not self-sufficient. May God give us thankful eyes that see the ways that He is working in the faith of others. And so like Paul, as an example here, we need to grow in our ability to express this kind of gratefulness to God for each other. I think this is a particular area of growth that I would like to see in this church a particular area of evidence of God's grace that I'd like to see over the next years God work in us, and that is a deeper, not only gratefulness for each other, but an expression of that gratefulness out loud to each other. Listen, I, I think we're thankful for one another, but I just don't see and hear this kind of thankfulness being expressed openly, regularly. And so may the Lord grow us in this way. May He help us to express our thanksgiving to one another for the glory of Jesus, our Savior. The second affection that we see in Paul here is this. Number two, Paul prays for the Romans. Paul thanks God for them, 
But he also prays for them. And so in verses 9 and 10, Paul calls God to witness that he constantly, he says, without ceasing, prays for the Romans. So Paul lived his life with the understanding that God sees and knows and controls everything that is. And even though he couldn't offer any physical proof to the Romans that he was, in fact, constantly praying for them, Paul knew that God knows the truth. So he calls God as witness to this fact that he constantly prays for them. Paul serves with his spirit, that is, he serves with his whole being in the work of the gospel of Jesus. Now notice in verse 9 that he describes the gospel, the good news, as the gospel of his son. Remember back in verse 1, he described it as the gospel of God. That is, God owns it. God made it up. It's God's gospel. And here he calls it the gospel of God's Son. That is, this is the gospel concerning Jesus, as he said back in verse 3. The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus is the content and substance and center of the gospel. And this is the gospel that Paul says he has devoted his entire life to. And part of being devoted to the gospel, part of loving the gospel of God's Son, is in devoting ourselves to prayer for one another. Paul says he prays for them without ceasing. This was not casual or occasional prayer. This was not just every now and then, but this was constant. This was passionate prayer for the Romans. Now, this is one of the only places in Paul's letter Paul's letters, where he doesn't spell out exactly what he's praying for them, but rather notice what he does. He tells them that just one of the things he's praying for them is that he will be able to visit them. So certainly Paul prayed for more than this when he prayed for the Romans, but he wants to tell them that this is something he's specifically praying for them, that God would allow him to go to Rome. Now, we'll come back to that longing to see them in just a moment, but notice that Paul is submitted to God's will in prayer. So there's something that he wants. There's something that he deeply desires as he communicates it here. He even says he's been prevented from doing that thing that he wants in verse 13. He has waited for this thing to come true. He has begged God for it. Does anyone know this feeling? You've wanted something really bad, you've prayed for it, and it's been kept from you for a long time? Of course, we all know what this feels like. And when we don't get what we want, or when we're hindered from that thing, what's the temptation? The temptation is to doubt God, right? Or to question God's goodness or loving kindness to you. But not Paul. Notice Paul is submitted to, not my will, but yours be done. This shows that Paul believed in the importance of prayer, but he also believed in the sovereignty of God at the same time. God controls all that is, and yet Paul didn't cease to pray for the thing he wanted. Some people, I think, would wrongly conclude that to pray God's will be done is a prayer to lack faith. But I would argue otherwise. To pray God's will be done is a prayer of faith. It's an expression of our trust in God's sovereignty. I don't know how best to govern the world. Like, I know what I want and I can express what I want, but I don't know if that thing's what's best for me. I don't know how to best organize my travel plans, and neither did Paul. And so he prayed for God's will to be done in his life. Prayer is an expression 
of our confidence in God and in our love and affection for each other. When we pray for one another, we are telling each other by our praying that we are partners in this great work of the gospel. We are communicating that we are with one another. We're communicating that we're here for one another when we pray for one another and tell each other that we are praying to God. So follow Paul's example here. Pray for one another and tell each other that you are praying. This is part of the work that we've been called to as we serve our Lord and Savior in the gospel. This is part of the work we've been called to in the strengthening of our relationships in the body of Christ. Let's pray for one another. Third, notice Paul's affection in that he longs to see the Romans in person. Paul longs to see the Romans in person. Now, through this prayer, and more specifically in verse 11, Paul communicates that he really wants to see them. He actually says in verse 11 that he longs to see them. This is a strong word that Paul uses. It means to yearn for. It means to deeply desire something. Paul really, really wants to travel to Rome to see the Romans in person. Now, we can't be for sure, but it seems to me that Paul is, for some reason, trying to convince them of this fact that he really wants to see them. Maybe there were some in Rome who were growing impatient and wondered if Paul even cared about them at all. Maybe there were some who were equating Paul's absence with lack of care and concern. I'm not sure, but it seems like Paul wanted them to know that his absence is not due to a lack of desire, but only to God's sovereign providence. In fact, notice verse 13 again. He says that he was prevented from coming to them. Now, he doesn't say what prevented him, but we can make some good guesses based on the book of Acts and Paul's other letters as to what prevented him from going to Rome, right? Paul was busy planting churches. He was busy being persecuted for his preaching of the gospel. He was beaten for preaching the gospel. And I'm sure there were long periods of time where he was simply recovering from the rods and lashes that he received because of his faith in Jesus. There were months and months he was unfit to travel because of his health. And not to mention there were certain seasons of the year where travel was impossible in that day. He was hindered from coming. But all of that hindrance didn't diminish Paul's longing to make the trek to Rome to see the Romans in person. Now, this isn't in the text here. But just as an aside, the book of Acts tells us that Paul did in fact make it to Rome. But it wasn't the way that Paul would have chosen. Paul wanted to go willfully, right? He wanted to go on his own. But he ended up being taken to Rome under arrest by a Roman centurion because as a Roman citizen, Paul appealed to Caesar to hear his trial. After a long and dangerous journey as a prisoner in which he faced death multiple times, Paul actually did make it to Rome as a prisoner and he was able to do exactly what he had prayed by God's will that God would allow him to do. He saw the Romans in person and was able to have a fruitful ministry among them. You see, friends, sometimes God gives us the desire of our hearts in ways we would have never expected or prayed for. Right? Which is why we must always pray according to God's will. Because God knows best. He knows better than we do. We know nothing. We are totally ignorant of the future and what is best for us. 
This whole longing to see them in person that Paul expresses here in this opening passage of the book of Romans, I think it's hard for us to hear in this generation and in this culture because we no longer value this kind of face-to-face sharing of life. Right? Going down the road just a mile or two in a car has become a difficult thing for us to do. We, we find it hard in our busy schedule and in others' busy schedule to just go down the road to visit someone, to see them face to face. And Paul was willing to travel halfway across the world for months and months, traveling, exposing himself to all kinds of danger because the desire to see his fellow loved by God's saints was compelling, was something in him that compelled him to go see them face to face. Do you have this kind of yearning, this kind of longing to see other believers in person? Do you make time for this kind of personal interaction with other Christians, with other members of your church family? It seems so basic to say, but this kind of thing needs to be encouraged in our day and time. You can see around the horizon that this kind of thing would just be devalued altogether. And we would just rely on all of our technologies and electronics and just forget about the benefit of face-to-face interaction with each other. Listen, live streams and text and all these other technological advances, they are good gifts from God to be used for His glory. But they are not meant to replace being physically present in each other's lives. Physically gathering, physically looking at each other in the eye in order to do one another spiritual good that's the third thing we see in paul's desires but notice the fourth number four paul desires to strengthen the romans paul desires to strengthen the romans so the second part of verse 11 gets to exactly why paul wanted to see them in rome see the romans in person so badly he says he longs to see them so that he may impart some spiritual gift to them in order to strengthen them. And I'm not exactly sure what Paul means by this. What is the spiritual gift that Paul was wanting to impart by his presence? My guess is that he's not referring to spiritual gifts kind of like we normally think of spiritual gifts, things like prophecy or serving or healing. Those gifts are given to Christians by the Spirit of God, and they aren't dependent on an apostle being present to have them. And so my best guess would be that Paul is referring to to the whole context of Romans here and his desire to preach the gospel to them. See, Paul wants to preach the gospel to the Romans. His teaching, his instruction in the gospel, I think is perhaps the spiritual gift that he wants to bring to the Romans. He wants to see them strengthened in the gospel. He wants to teach them the truth, which is why he wants to go to them. Another way to say this, he says it in verse 13, where he says he's aiming to reap a harvest among them. He wants to do them them good spiritually. He wants to see them mature and be fruitful in response to his ministry in Rome. That's the perhaps spiritual gift that he wants to bring to them. So among other things, friends, when Christians gather together like we're doing now, gifts are supposed to be exchanged for our strengthening. Being together provides opportunities for spiritual blessings to each other in order that we may be strengthened in the faith. Because when we gather together, 
We should feel this strengthening happening as we strengthen each other. Paul desires to go to them. He desires to be among them so that he can build them up in the faith, so that he can press them into Christ further and further. That should be all of our desires to see our fellow brothers and sisters mature and grow and be strengthened in the faith. But notice Paul didn't just want to benefit them. Notice the fifth truth. Number five, Paul yearns to be strengthened by the Romans. He not only wants to strengthen them, but he yearns to be strengthened by them. Look at how he clarifies what he longs for in verse 12. He says, that is, so that's a word of clarification, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So here's the great Apostle Paul, and he wants to be encouraged by these Roman Christians. See, Paul understood a great lesson of the Christian life. When we love and care for others, it is our faith that is strengthened, not just the others. That path of being strong in the faith is the path of ministry to others. Paul teaches that we should go to great lengths to strengthen others for our own strengthening, for our own encouragement. What should happen when we gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ is mutual encouragement. I grow when I see you grow. I'm strengthened when you're strengthened. When we leave any church group or church gathering, we should leave with the encouragement that God is at work in each other's lives. I think sometimes we we often want to look for like big, grand gestures of faith. We wait for these these mighty uh, uh, generosity or or this great courageous sharing of the gospel before we we start thanking God for each other and start being encouraged by it. But just the day-to-day, moment-by-moment following Jesus should encourage us. Just seeing other brothers and sisters here and what it it cost them to be here, the sacrifice that they made, to hear the voices lifted in prayer and praise to God should strengthen us, should encourage us should propel us on in Christ. Because I'm aware of this Sunday by Sunday. Sometimes I am so encouraged by hearing you all sing God's praises. Sometimes when I'm weak and when I'm exhausted from a long week of preparing a sermon that I'm not sure is helpful at all, I find myself being reinvigorated to not give up, to press on when I see how attentively you listen to and apply God's Word to your life. Your faith, your joy, strengthen my faith, strengthen my joy. This is how we should be, mutually encouraging each other to press on into maturity, mutually encouraging each other to grow in the things of God and following Jesus, sometimes simply by our presence together around the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the sixth and final way we see Paul's affection is this. Number six, Paul is eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. Paul is eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. So verses 14 and 15 show us the main reason Paul wants to go to Rome. Look at what he says here. And this is what launches him into what he says about the gospel in verses 16 and 17. And so notice the connection. Verses 14 and 15. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. And so Paul is eager to preach the gospel far and wide. Indeed, he says he is under obligation to preach this gospel, which could literally be translated that he is a debtor. He is a debtor to preach the gospel. Why is Paul under this debt? Why is he under this obligation? Why does he owe this debt? Well, it's not as though the Greeks or barbarians loaned him something that he has to pay back. It's not as though they saved his life and so he owes them the debt of his life. No. God has given him a task to preach the gospel. And Paul loves the gospel so much. He's been so transformed by the gospel that he describes his eagerness to preach it in such a way that it's a debt he must pay, that it's an obligation that he must joyfully, eagerly fulfill. The gospel cannot be kept to oneself. If we know the gospel of Jesus, we are under obligation to share that gospel with others. The gospel comes with a call on our lives, a call of obligation to joyfully declare that gospel to as many as possible. And Paul was particularly called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he says to both Greeks and barbarians. Now, I'm not exactly what sure what Paul meant in the, the distinction between these two groups. But most scholars think that by Greeks, Paul meant educated and cultured Gentiles. And by barbarians, he's referring to uncultured and uneducated Gentiles. I'm not sure. But notice he adds in verse 14, to the wise and to the foolish. And so I take this to be Paul saying he owes the gospel to everyone without exception, to all classes of people, to all ranks of people in society, wise and foolish, I owe the gospel to them. In other words, Paul isn't looking around finding people who are deserving of the gospel. He's not looking around finding people who are like him, who he can relate to. No, he preaches to all because all need to hear it and embrace it. And so Paul's obligation is actually an eagerness to preach the gospel because his confidence is in the power of God to save both the wise and the foolish, to save both the Greek and the barbarian. The gospel is what makes all these things that Paul says in this introduction realistic and possible. You see, how can Paul assume he's going to strengthen them in the gospel and be strengthened by them? How's Paul going to reap a harvest among them when he's there? Well, it's all because of the power of God's gospel to save people. Paul has no confidence in himself. He has no confidence in his ability to reason well enough or to explain it well enough. All his confidence is in the gospel of God's Son. When Paul preaches, God powerfully saves people through the gospel. And so Paul is eager. He is under obligation to preach this gospel so that God might work in saving all kinds of people. Friends, this has a ton of implications for us and our lives. In evangelism, in discipleship, in missions. Friends, the content of our message as Christians is the gospel that powerfully saves. This is the unique message we have. This is what we should preach to our kids, moms and dads and grandparents. This is what we should preach to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, and to the ends of the earth. This is the message we preach to the poor and to the rich, to the religious and the pagan, to the wise and the foolish. This is the message that we have. It is the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. Because this gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
May we never lose confidence in the power of this gospel. May we always feel obligated to preach it because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so reflect for a moment before we close. Paul's example here should challenge us as we think about how we relate to people, how we relate to the people that we relate to day by day and week by week. Who do you need to speak to and tell them that you thank God for them? Who do you need to look into the, their eyes and say, I thank God for you. I'm sorry I haven't told you that before now. I just want you to know I am thankful for you. Who do you need to pray for and let them know that you pray for them regularly? Who do you need to carve out time to meet with face to face in order to do each other spiritual good? Who do you need to strengthen and be strengthened by? How can you be more intentional about helping others mature in the faith? How can you be more intentional about letting others help you mature in the faith? Who do you owe the gospel to? Who have you not paid this debt of obligation to in your life, in your circle? Do you feel this obligation, this eagerness to preach the good news to people you encounter, to people God has sovereignly put in your life? I challenge you to pray, God, open my eyes that I might see people. I might see them as you see them. I might see the obligation that I have to declare the good news to them. And my prayer is that the name of Jesus would be praised among us as the gospel frees us from our selfishness and fuels us to love each other, to love everyone we encounter, to declare the gospel to both the wise and the foolish. Let's pray that God would help us do that. Oh Lord, thank you for the gospel of your son. Thank you for the gospel that frees us from our sin and selfishness. Thank you for the gospel that propels us outward. Thank you for the gospel that impacts all the relationships we have. Lord, help us to believe it today and help us to be freed by it to do all that you have called us to do and to be. Lord, by your word, would you equip us to be thankful for one another, to love one another, to pray for one another, to see each other face to face and to, and to be eager to strengthen each other and to be strengthened by each other through the gospel. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to not be people like people who look into the mirror and forget what they are like, but that we would be doers of your word, that we would follow the example of the apostle Paul that's in your inspired word. And you would help us to do that for the joy of our souls and for the glory of your name among the nations. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.